What's up, Joe? What's up, everybody? Things are looking up in the National Hockey League. That may sound strange, given the NHL has long been viewed by some as the mistake-prone stepchild of North American team sports. But with the success of the expansion Vegas Golden Knights, a new team on tap in Seattle, and the hopeful return of the World Cup of Hockey in 2020, the NHL appears to be on the upswing. Joining us to talk about these and other positive developments in the NHL is Ryan Lake, a lawyer and hockey consultant who has spent a great deal of his life working in hockey at the professional and collegiate levels. We're happy to have Ryan on the show, and we're even happier that you tuned in to join us on Sports 360. Joining us today on Sports 360 is Ryan Lake. Ryan is the founder of Beyond the Playbook, a company that helps professional athletes transition into a life after sports. Uh, Ryan is also an adjunct professor of law at St. John's University School of Law and a frequent contributor to Forbes and to Law in Sports. He joins us today to talk about some exciting trends in the National Hockey League, including expansion into Vegas and the upcoming addition of a new team in the city of Seattle. Ryan, welcome to Sports 360. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Sure, sure. And did you catch my my uh, attempt at a at an ode to the late great Howard Cosell when I said the National Hockey League? <laughs> <laughs> did you catch that? I did. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was a yeah. good one. Yeah, I've been working on that. I've been working on that for the last couple of months. So <laughs> I pulled it out just for you. <laughs> well, I feel honored. It was a great... I'm being honored. I'm glad to have you on uh, on the show today. You know, and as we're sitting here recording this, uh, it's January 1st, 2019. And so uh, I guess Happy New Year is in order. I hope you didn't party too much last night. <laughs> <laughs> nope, took, took it nice and easy, and Happy New Year to you. Um, I hope it, it, it's been going well so far. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's been a few hours, but so far, so good. But I am looking forward to um, a, a, a positive year, both personally, professionally, and also some great things happening in the world of sports, including in the National Hockey League, and we're going to talk about some of those things today. And, um, you know, Ryan, we've known each other for a long time, you know, and I don't profess to know a lot about hockey. Um, and so I'm glad to have you on the show today to talk about some of those things and fill in my gaps, so to speak. Um, but, you know, I mentioned that you are a contributor to Forbes and to Law and Sports, and You've written several articles about hockey, including the National Hockey League, and you also have some other experience in the game. And so before we talk about some of the things that are going on in the NHL, um, why don't you share with our audience so that they can get to know you a little bit better uh, some of your experience 
or experience is in hockey. Yeah, well, uh, you know, hockey is as you unfortunately you're you're not alone uh, when you're not that familiar when you say you're not that familiar with hockey. I think that's you know a common issue the sport faces, and uh, you know I I have long had a passion for hockey. I grew up playing the game. Um, I played at the club level in uh, in college and was lucky enough to to work closely with USA Hockey when I was at the U.S. Olympic Committee uh, working on, you know, some selection procedure issues and, and doping procedure um, issues and really develop, was able to develop a relationship with USA Hockey. And after getting uh, out of the U.S. Olympic Committee, I was able to work really closely with a couple of uh, the leagues that USA Hockey has partnered with, um, one of those being the Canadian Women's Hockey League, and so I was honored uh, to work with that league in their first ever uh, women's winter classic. Uh, today being, you know, January 1st is the day of the winter classic. And so that it's a big day in the hockey world. And, um, you know, it was a great honor to be able to help organize the very first women's uh, classic, which was held in uh, Foxborough. Uh, and so I was able to work really closely with the NHL and, uh, Hockey Canada and USA Hockey to, to put that together and been able to work on some, you know, really interesting things on the collegiate level of hockey and as well as the international level uh, over in, in Switzerland. I've done some work um, and, and, you know, have really done a lot of different things, um, ranging from working on the league side with Canadian women's where, you know, operating as essentially their general counsel and being a general practitioner for the league uh, working closely with agents and players um, to really position themselves during their career and then help them transition um, from their playing career into their, their second career uh, and helping them navigate those issues. Um, and so, you know, I, I think I've had a wide variety of experience. Uh, yeah, it's really all like levels of hockey. So. Sure. And, you know, I, I was aware, Ryan, of some of the, um, professional things that you've done, not all of them. So I, I appreciate hearing that. But one of the things I didn't know is that you played. So that that's interesting to find out too, that you played back in the day. So I'm glad to have you on and, and, to, and to get your perspective. And, you know, today, Ryan, I want to talk about some of the, what I view as some positive things that are going on in the NHL. And, and, and one of the first things I want to talk about is uh, expansion. Um, you know, at the start of the 2017-18 season, um, the Vegas Golden Knights began play um, as an expansion club, had a great year, went to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, excitement, not only in Vegas, but across the league. Um, and, you know, you wrote an interesting article for Forbes where you stated that the success of the Golden Knights contributed to a revenue spike for the league and to significant growth in players' salaries. Um, if you could, can you tell us a little bit about the Vegas Knights story and, and the impact that it has had both on revenue and player salaries? Yeah, Vegas is a really interesting story, and I think – you know, it caught the hockey world by surprise, their success. And, and so for our listeners that aren't familiar, Vegas was an expansion team and went through uh, 
the expansion process for the first, the, the league went through the expansion process for the first time in over a decade uh, when they introduced Vegas as the 31st team in the league. Uh, and so the, there weren't very high expectations as the first sports team in uh, Vegas and all their, their, their roster was made up of, you know, players that other teams didn't want on their roster anymore, essentially. Um, they were able to really rally behind that underdog um, mentality and, and went all the way to the Stanley Cup finals where they ultimately lost the, the Washington Capitals, but it was, you know, a fantastic run and they, they broke records in terms of the number of players on their team that had uh, career years uh, as well as revenue records. Um, they're in the top four of Jersey sales in the league by the end of the season. It generated over 65 million in ticket sales alone, uh, which is, you know, a really, really um, impressive number, especially for the first year on the uh, playing in the league. Uh, and overall, the <clears throat> the league saw a 9.7% growth uh, in the 17-18 season, uh, which ge- translates into revenue generation of $4.86 billion, which is the highest the league has ever been at. And this, this percent... 9.7% growth is the highest that they've had in the last five years. Um, and, and perhaps even longer, I've only looked back in the last five years. Uh, and so a lot of that has contributed to the Vegas success. You know, when I was first looking at these numbers, I was trying to decide, you know, what else could be happening and to impact the revenue so drastically. And there really wasn't much else happening in the league. Um, you know, all the broadcasting agreement has been in place uh, since 2011, and it doesn't expire until 2021. Um, and so the, really the only big thing that can move the needle that way was Vegas and their success. Wow. Now that's really that's really an impressive, uh, an impressive story. And, and, you know, when we're seeing revenue spike in that fashion and because of the, you know, the salary cap system um, and, and the revenue sharing that goes on, uh, players benefited from that too, in terms of increased increased salaries. Um, but you also mentioned something too that is a part of an expansion, and it's sort of a natural thing to to appreciate. And that is the creation of new jobs for players, right? Because now you have a new team, so you you have players who may have been in other organizations but weren't giving given a an opportunity to play or to play that often. And maybe that is part of the reason why, as you mentioned earlier, some of these players uh, on Vegas had career years, right? Because now, you know, they're able to play, um, you know, play full time. So, um, but there is some job creation that goes along with expansion. Tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. And I, you know, I think Vegas, um, you know, perhaps is an extreme example of the success that players can have when given the opportunity. Um, you look at a player like William Carlson, who is barely getting any ice time in Columbus, and he goes to Vegas and he becomes, you know, one of the best scorers in the league last year. Um, and, and so that's just an example of the type of job creation that the league saw throughout. And I think we can see again with Seattle coming up. Um, where if you look at the NHL roster, you know, there's 23 active roster uh, positions, and those are the players you see on you know, playing in the NHL games. 
but each team also has 57 additional uh, reserve list uh, spots. And so every time, you know, even though there's an expansion draft and Carl, the, Carlson, for example, came over from Columbus, uh, Columbus now is one player less on their reserve list. So they have to go out and grab another player that, you know, isn't currently um, within the NHL system. And so this is Vegas alone essentially generated 80 new NHL system spots for players that weren't previously in the league. Uh, and then you'll see that again with Seattle when they enter an, an additional 80% or 80 uh, positions. And, you know, you can see this have a ripple effect down the different levels. Uh, and so the main minor league system is the American Hockey League. and to really accommodate all these new players that have to be uh, playing in that system because they're under NHL uh, agreements, they had to add a new team. So the Colorado Eagles entered into the AHL and they were moved up from the a league right below uh, the AHL, which is known as the East Coast Hockey League. And so that league is now adding another team to really compensate um, and, and make sure there's equilibrium. And yeah. so you just see this ripple effect throughout the North American system, but a lot of the players actually come from Europe. So you see uh, the European leagues as well um, having to deal with the movement of these players and adding more and more players to the systems. Yeah, I mean, that, that's really fascinating to hear that, right, that um, that the addition of one club can have that kind of effect, not only at, at the league level in the NHL, but also minor league and, and over in Europe. Um, now you mentioned a couple of times the upcoming expansion, and I mentioned it at the top as well into the city of Seattle. And, you know, that's slated for the 2021, 2022 season. Um, and so look at, no one has a crystal ball here and we don't know if Vegas was an aberration or not, but given, given where, you know, and the NHL is headed, you know, I don't think they can find a better city than Seattle for their, for, you know, for their next uh, new club. Um, should we expect a, a a similar financial boost, you think, um, that we saw with Vegas? Do you think we'll see something similar with Seattle when it joins the leagues beginning in 2021? You know, I think that's a really good question. I think, um, We'll likely see a pretty substantial boost. Uh, before Seattle was approved and before Vegas was approved, there was a ticket drive to see if there's enough interest there. And and when Vegas went through the ticket drive, they set an NHL all-time record for how quickly they sold out. Uh, but Seattle smashed that record uh, and and sold out, uh, you know, in something around five minutes. All mm. all the tickets and the uh, ticket drivers sold out. And if you just look at the other sports that are in Seattle, the Seahawks and their MLS team, um, the fan base is hungry for sports. Right. And minor league and Western um, Hockey League has done very, very well in the Pacific Northwest and Seattle and Portland. Um, so, I, you know, there's educated hockey fans that are up there uh, that are currently rooting likely for – uh, the Vancouver Canucks, which is just 100 miles north of Seattle. Um, so, th 
I think the fan base is ready and, and hungry to support a team. Um, and I think they have a built-in rivalry with Vancouver right there. The, the one big question mark is, you know, how successful are they going to be on the ice? And I think no one could have predicted Vegas was as an expansion team would make it to the Stanley Cup finals. It's, it's never happened uh, before in the NHL in the modern era. Um, and I, I, I'd be surprised if it happened in the other leagues as well. Um, where expansion team is just able to right <laughs> just steamroll the rest of the competition, and um, so I, I don't I don't think Seattle is going to you know be as successful on the ice, but I, I do think there's a lot of possibility for revenue generation um, and a lot of excitement. And I, over the next couple of years, I think that's just going to build more and more, um, and so we should see you know gradual revenue increases as the name comes out and the jerseys come out. And then finally, when they take the ice um, in, in 2021. Right. Cause as of right now, right. The, the club doesn't even have a, a name as of yet. Yeah. And, you know, they have a really strong ownership group there as well. So the um, Jerry Bruckheimer is one of the owners, a producer out of Hollywood. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of, innovation that occurs there just like there was a lot of innovation in vegas so vegas you know was the first team to really completely redo the fan experience for the pregame and that really you know helped set them apart and they had Cirque du Soleil come and perform as part of the pregame ceremony and um you know it's really advanced and and evolved the league so other teams are starting to really recognize that they have to create a fan experience and then having someone like Jerry Bruckheimer and, and uh, there's a couple guys involved with Amazon. Um, oh, yeah. I, I think they're they're set to really push the league uh, the next step to really enhance the fan experience and then the marketing aspect. Um, right. Which is somewhere is, in some ways the NHL is lagged behind the other major sports and and their ability to you know attract new fans and market themselves. Hmm. You know, you you raise an interesting point in, in, in my mind. Um, you know, when when we see you know new ownership coming in, either because they purchased a team, or in in the case like Seattle and Vegas, there's been expansion. You know, the opportunity to have um, new blood, so to speak, people coming from outside of sports, um, actually does open the door to innovation, depending upon where the ownership group, uh, what industries they're coming from and, and the types of approaches they have to business. And so it really, it's really interesting to hear you talk about uh, some of the things that went on in Vegas to enhance the fan, fan experience. And I think you're right, um, you know, with certain elements of the Seattle group coming in, you know, the, the Hollywood connection, and even the Amazon connection, um, being able to engage fans in a new way is is um, something that's exciting. And sometimes you only get that when you sometimes get people from outside of the industry who are coming in with some new ideas. So that's I find that to be interesting. I'll, you know what else I find interesting, Ryan? That um, you know we had you know, the impact on salaries that we talked about with the Vegas success. But I also find it interesting, though, that the expansion fees, which were $500 million 
for the Vegas franchise and a reported $650 million for Seattle. That's not part of the revenue sharing, correct? And I take it that would have to be because under the collective bargaining agreement, that's excluded from whatever hockey-related revenue is shared with the players. Yeah, that that is not included in the uh, the revenue that is shared under the collective bargaining. And, you know, it's essentially I think that boils down to the fact that it was a, an expansion fee and not hockey related generated or hockey generated um, revenue per se. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's such a large number that is not being shared with the, the players. I think that's caused some tension with the players and, and, you know, one factor that kind of helps alleviate that, especially on the uh, the eve of another collective uh, bargaining period is the fact that, you know, we've seen the average player salary grow by 12.7% just by adding in the new uh, Vegas team. Um, and so I think that helps offset, but again, that number would be drastically higher if that uh, $600 million was shared. Yeah. Or even just some portion of it. So, yeah. um, you know, just interesting to see that. And, and because that's a lot of money, obviously, $500 million and $650 million. Um, Ryan, earlier you mentioned um, when you were talking about the work that you've done with um, the Women's Hockey League, um, you mentioned the Winter Classic and you mentioned that today, January 1st, the Winter Classic and the NHL. And that when we talk about innovation and I don't know how long it's been in existence now, the the Winter Classic. But as a casual observer of the game of hockey, I've always looked at the Winter Classic as being a pretty cool event. Um, um, so what's 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 been going on with the Winter Classic? Because I understand now they play more than one in in the season, right? Uh, I remember it was it was every year you would get one game, but what what's the latest with the Winter Classic? How is how are things going with that? Well, it, uh, as you said, today was um, you know the Winter Classic held every January first, and so today the Blackhawks play the Bruins at Notre Dame Stadium, and I think it was one of the coolest environments that they've gone to. Uh, it was also the second highest attended winter classic in the history. And I, and I believe they've been doing them for about 11 years now. And so while there's, uh, you know, one outdoor game that's called the winter classic uh, every year, there are several outdoor games that have been added. Uh, and so they just today they announced um, next year is going to have three outdoor games, uh, one in Dallas, which will be the winter classic one in Colorado and then one up in Canada, uh, which is known as the Heritage Classic, which is really how the Winter Classic came to be. So that uh, can the Canadian teams have been playing the Heritage Classic out up in Canada outdoors for a number of years that had great success, but didn't wasn't on TV um, at, at the same level. And and so the Winter Classic was really able to take it to the next step, and it's become you know highly successful and highly popular. You know, I think the league is struggling with how to maintain the uniqueness of the Winter Classic, but also capitalize on markets that are hungry for outdoor games. Um, And and so they, you know, one year they had, I believe they had four or five games. Uh, Last year, you know, they did away with all the other games except for the Winter Classic. And now next year they're going to have three. And so they're they're trying to find the, the sweet spot. The challenge for this year 
uh, Winter Classic is so it's held on NBC, and several of the the large cable networks actually um, are in a dispute uh, that occurred overnight, I guess, and and NBC was pulled off the air for massive parts of the country, and so you know many fans lost out on the ability to watch the game, and then the NHL as a result lost you know that television revenue. Um, so that would be interesting to see how that's all worked out and mm-hmm. how the NHL is able to rebound from that. Right, right. But just visually, you know, for me, just seeing the games being played in these large outdoor venues, as I said, it's always just, it has struck me as being a, a very cool sight to see. Um, yeah. I mean, you know, as growing up playing, being able to watch watch it outside and, you know, I was able to go to a, an outdoor game a couple years ago, and um, you know, it's the coolest hockey experience I've been to. And then working on the women's classic, which occurred right before the men's uh, winter classic, you know, it's it's a special event. I mean, it's really really special for the players, and um, you know, the fans that grew up playing the game get to kind of relive their childhood watching watching the the best players doing it. Uh-huh. Sure. Now, in addition, Ryan, to um, expansion and to the Winter Classic, um, what I also view as a positive trend in the NHL is the expansion of games in other countries, right, of NHL games being played in other countries, Switzerland, Sweden, China, um, Germany. Um, What generally has been, you know, the success there and – should we expect to see more games being played in in other countries? Yeah, I think, you know, it's something that's pretty unique to the NHL and, and to, you know, hockey in general is the international um, flavor and awareness that the game has and appeal. And so the, the NHL has actually been playing international games dating all the way back to 1938, where they would send uh, – clubs over for international tours. Uh, and then they, you know, had a series of games where the NHL All-Stars would play against the Soviet national team uh, back in the, in the days of the Soviet Union. Um, and so they've really, one thing the league has done a good job is recognized how uh, many players come from uh, really Europe and Russia and have really tried to, you know, generate fan interest in in their league over there uh and so we've seen them ramping we've seen the league ramping up over the last couple of years the number of games uh, and and the importance of the games that are played over in europe um and so this, as you said this past year you know the league sent four teams over um to play a couple of preseason games but then they also played some real uh, regular season games and so the Devils and the Oilers, you know, they went over and they played against club teams in Europe, which was really exciting and, and interesting to watch. And, you know, I think the Devils were actually taken to overtime against one of the, the Swiss teams, which just goes to show, you know, the, the level of parity across the world in these different leagues. But then they were also, the Devils and Oilers met up to play in, in Sweden for a regular season game. And then the Jets and Panthers went over to Finland for a couple of regular season games. Um, and, you know, the league identified who has the the, the best Finnish players 
uh, or some of the most um, popular Finnish players and sent those those teams over to Finland to play. And they did the same thing last year with Sweden, sending over um, Ottawa with Eric Carlson and Colorado with uh, Gabriel Landeskog, which are some of the you know most popular Swedish players. So they're they're trying to be um, you know really strategic in where they play these games, but there there has been an increased focus on it. And you know I think a lot of that has to do with their um, disagreements with the IOC, the International Olympic Committee, and the International um, Hockey Federation, and the Olympic Games itself. And it's it's really, you know, as an aspect of the NHL trying to separate itself and also have control over the the growth of the game uh, worldwide. Yeah. And, you know, we see this in, in, in some of the other major team sports as well, right? With, you know, the, you know, MLB plays a lot of games um, internationally. We'll be playing in London. Um, next year have a regular season game there. And of course they played in Japan and, and in Mexico and, and in other countries as well. Um, NFL, you know, they have several games a year in, in mm-hmm. London and the NBA has done it. And so, you know, I, I think it's, you know, you know, clear evidence, right. That, you know, these games and the sports and the leagues are, you know, they have a global uh, view Right. And, and they're looking to expand the game globally. And I think that can only be of benefit to the game, um, not just in terms of fan engagement, but also, you know, getting the next generation of players who, you know, will come up uh, from some of these other countries because the game was introduced and, and, and teams have, have come over to play either regular season games or exhibition games. Um outside their traditional territory. So I, I view it as nothing but positive. So that's, it's good to hear that the NHL is, is, is pursuing this, this route as well. Um, and Ryan, you and I talked about, um, I guess a couple of days ago, you mentioned the world cup of hockey, um, which is, and correct me if I'm wrong, right. It's something that's Created was created by the league and the players' association working together. Um, can you just give us a little bit more information about the World Cup of Hockey and when is the next one scheduled to take place? Yeah, absolutely, and that, uh, it is a very unique uh, tournament that uh, you know the, the PA and the NHL have come together. Uh, to really relaunch the World Cup of Hockey. It originated back in 1992 and it kind of faded out. And that's primarily because the Olympics allowed professional players to go uh, and play. And the Olympics have, you know, traditionally been more appealing for the European and Russian players. And it's, you know, the pinnacle of the sport for a lot of the the international players. Uh, But the players, you know, they don't get paid during the games. And the NHL has to stop their season, allow the players to go over to play every four years um, and doesn't get to share in any of that revenue that's generated. And so the NHL and the PA, you know, saw, have been looking at this for a number of years and really decided that they want to have, you know, an international tournament that would appeal to their players and the fans, um, but have a, you know, uh, be able to, to really control the way it, it's played where, when it's played. So they play in August, which is before preseason. 
Uh, and after a, a summer break, so players can recuperate uh, and rest after the, the previous season. And then the NHL and the PA, you know, get to share that revenue. So 50% of the revenue that is generated gets to go back to the players. Um, and that's distributed amongst all players, not just the players that play in the tournament. And so the tournament's really set up pretty similar to the, to the Olympic tournament. There's eight teams. Um, 2016 was the, the first relaunch of the, the, World, the World Cup. And so they had, you know, uh, the six big countries. So there's Canada, uh, United States, Russia, Sweden, Finland, uh, Switzerland, and Czech Republic, I believe. Uh, and then, you know, there was two all-star teams. There was Team Europe, which is made up of players from all the other European countries. Uh, they're outside the big six. And then there's a North, there was a North American under 23 team. Um, and so it was, it was really exciting. Um, it was held in Canada, in Toronto, uh, and it generated roughly a hundred million dollars. The and next that revenue, one is, and that revenue is shared. Is it shared and it's shared 50, 50 as all other, um, shared revenue is, is, is allocated. It, it is shared. I think there might be a few cutouts, um, for, you know, fees for operating and covering, um, you know, certain costs that are, Cut, or cut out of that first and then it's shared. And that hundred million is, you know, before all that's cut out. Mm, um, okay. But still, I mean, that, that's, that's, uh, that's some good revenue uh, to be generated and some, you know, additional revenue that, you know, for the league, but also um, for the players. Absolutely. And, you know, they, the, the league announced the world cup, I believe in 2015 and it launched in 2016. And so there wasn't much of a build-up to it. And, you know, I think the next one, which is scheduled to come out in 2020, you'll see even higher revenue numbers. Um, as corporate sponsors get on board earlier, uh, fans become more and more aware of it. Um, and, you know, they're changing the format uh, somewhat as well. They're going to get rid of the two um, all-star teams, and they're going to allow uh, other countries to qualify. So two countries will be able to play their way in. Uh, which will add some unique storylines um, that weren't in the first one. But, you know, with this will come likely the end of the NHL players playing in uh, the Olympics, uh. um, which has also caused some issues. Um, this this past Olympics, uh, I believe several of the Russian players threatened to actually quit the NHL if they weren't allowed to go. Um that didn't come to fruition, but there was a lot of tension between, you know, some of the superstars, Alice Ovechkin, um, being one of the most outspoken athletes that wanted to play in the Olympics. Uh, ultimately, he decided, you know, it's not worth to end his career. And he it was probably the best decision because they went on to win the Stanley Cup last year. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not without controversies and tensions. But yeah. And, you know, and, and segueing off that last comment in, in terms of controversies and tensions. I mean, we're talking about a lot of good things and a lot of positive developments in the National Hockey League, right? Expansion, um, the Winter Classic, um, the International Games, the World Cup of Hockey, and these are all good things. And, and, and Ryan, even though I don't watch a lot of hockey, um, I'm glad to see 
some of these things and to hear about them and to learn about what's going on. Um, and yet there's the reality of labor relations, right? And, you know, uh, from what I understand, you know, both sides have the opportunity to reopen the collective bargaining agreement in 2019. And, you know, there's been some talk of there being a work stoppage uh, in 2020. And so the business side of things, the labor relations side of things, they're there. And obviously no one is hoping for work stoppage. No one knows that there's going to be one, but certainly some of these positive things that we're talking about could be adversely affected if there were a work stoppage. Uh, I'm not going to ask you if you think there's going to be one, but um, I, you know, I think you would agree that all sides would benefit if they could sort of keep whatever positive momentum has been generated and will be generated uh, in the next couple of years, if they could keep it going. And one of the ways to do that would be by avoiding a work stoppage. No. Yeah, I, I, I agree. If there's, um, you know, any way that work stoppage can be avoided, it, it would be the best for the game. Um, you know, the NHL and the, and the PA have a long history of taking advantage of work stoppages and, um, you know, either going on strike or having a lockout. Um, much of that, in the past was, you know, it was needed on the player side. Uh, the players needed to really stand up for their rights and, and uh, you know, negotiate hard. And, and they were able to do that. And I think they've gotten to a position that makes sense for the league to be able to grow, but also the players, um, you know, to, to be compensated reasonably fairly. I, I mean, the players, they, they are the least, one of the least lowest paid uh, leagues out of the major sports in North America. Uh, but that's largely because the revenue numbers are, are lower than, you know, major league baseball or, or the NFL. Um, and so as you were saying, you know, I think they found a fairly reasonable equal, equilibrium right now. And there's a lot of positive momentum that's that they should really, you know, try to hang on to and keep moving forward. Uh, without a work stoppage. And I think the worst thing that could happen for the league in general is a work stoppage. There's already players that are looking ahead uh, to next next year. So this could happen in September of, I guess, 2019 this year. Um, and so certain players have already signed deals contingent on a work stoppage. Uh, and so Sebastian Ajo of the Carolina Hurricanes has signed a deal with uh, the KHL, which is the Russian professional league. Um, and so in, in the event there's work stoppage, he'll be going over to Russia. And we saw this in the last work stoppage. All the players fled over to Europe to continue to play, get paid. Um, but with, you know, the World Cup coming on, um, Seattle coming on board, the NHL has just entered into a new deal uh, with MGM uh, for uh, to be their official partner for sports-related betting. Uh, which, you know, some reports say could generate an additional $216 million. Um, and, as, and as long as that revenue that's generated is part of that sharing, you know, it would make sense for both sides to, to keep moving forward and, and stay with the current agreement. Um, you know, small modifications, but not stopping play uh, and really killing all the momentum that they've worked so hard over the last 10 years to, to build up. Sure. 
Right, because I, I think there's some real potential. I mean, if if, if the Vegas experience, um, you know, uh, serves as any guide, it at least points to the possibility. We don't know if Seattle is going to replicate what happened in Vegas, but the possibility is there, again, to see some really significant impact on revenue and player salaries and then some of these other things that we're talking about um, also uh, could help uh, continue to grow the game, um, both in terms of the finances and then also with fan engagement and with sponsors and and others. And so hopefully, you know, they'll be able to, the, the two sides will be able to maintain the peace and maintain some of the momentum. Now, Ryan, before we go, um, I will say to you, I don't know exactly when it was, but maybe 10 years ago, um, I was in Phoenix um, for salary arbitration, baseball salary arbitration. And I think we had a couple of days between cases and I actually went to a hockey game. <laughs> um, and it's the only hockey game I've ever attended. I enjoyed myself and um, it's the new year. So why not? I'm going to say that in 2019, I will attend another NHL hockey game. I'm putting it on my on my bucket list. It's not so much a resolution, but it's something that I'm going to do um, because I actually enjoy. I think I think hockey players um, are some of the better athletes in the game. I mean, they they the speed of the game and they're moving both forwards and backwards at <laughs> tremendous <laughs> speed, um, you know, and handling a stick and you know. Uh, a puck and and the physicality of the game. So I think there's some of the um, some of the, the 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 best athletes out there. But in 2019, Ryan, um, I'm going to go to a game and and, and uh, yeah. So I think you have got to stoke those fires today by <laughs> talking so much about about hockey. So I appreciate that. But I do appreciate you coming on, man. Um, and you know I enjoy uh, talking with you and and. You know, I'd like you to come back again and maybe, you know, when we get toward the end of the season and, and um, you know, we get to the playoffs and things of that sort, maybe we can come back and talk about uh, some of the exciting things that are taking place on the ice. Yeah, that sounds great. And, you know, let me know when you're going to go to the game. And if I'm around, I'd, I'd love to join you. Um, you know, I, I've always said hockey's not the same live as it is on TV. Mm-hmm. You don't become a real fan until you see a game up close and personal. And, uh, you know, that speed doesn't translate over over television very well. Uh, no. So. Yeah. All right. Well, maybe maybe we should do that. Maybe we should plan to, you know, either, either if I'm out um, your way or you come here uh, to, to the Northeast, we could plan to go to a game. I, I think we uh, I know I would have a good time. So um, that'd be great. All right. Well, Ryan, listen, man, I appreciate you coming on and, and, and talking with us about some of the great things that are going on in the Hockey League, uh, National Hockey League. And, you know, let, you know let's hope that, um, you know, the, the positive things that we've seen over the past few years and the things to come uh, as, as it relates to Seattle, let, let's hope that we can see um, things continue to, to move upward for the NHL and for its players. Yeah, I think it's exciting time uh, for the league, and I think it's exciting time for the players too, which is you know where my focus mostly is on, and um, 
it will be fun to see how how things all shake out. Yep. All right, Ryan. Well, thanks again, man. And I'm sure we're going to be um, catching up with each other down the road soon. All right. Thanks, Jeff. Okay. Thank you, Ryan. Ryan Lake walked us through some of the positive things taking place in the NHL. Whether the good times will continue depends on if the league and players can avoid a work stoppage in the coming years. That's a pretty big if, as the NHL, like the NFL and MLB, currently has a strained relationship with its players. That means continuation of play is far from a sure bet. Time will tell. Speaking of time, my time is up for this week. But I'm not mad, because right now I'm riding with my man Scully, and everything is outstanding. (laughs) You don't know that song, but we'll help you out. So keep your head up, and just know we appreciate you stopping by and checking us out for a few. And we look forward to seeing you again on the next edition of Sports 360. So much for